You're listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached during the online worship service of Central United Methodist Church. We are located in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to join us for our live worship experience through Facebook or Zoom every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Visit www.cumcballston.org for details. There you can also learn more about our congregation where we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Our scripture reading for today is... Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. The Mission of the Twelve. Then Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Wherever they do not welcome you, as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They departed and went to the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Some years ago, my wife Marsha and I did a four-day, three-night trek up through the Grand Teton Wilderness area. And I explained earlier where we went and our circuit, circuit hike. It was a fantastic experience. <clears throat> we started from that string lake and spent our first night along the lake uh, down almost at, at the ground level with the mountains towering over us. From there, on the first day, we moved up the paintbrush trail and into our first campsite. Only did about three or four miles that day. Almost all of it straight up. That's what it sounded, felt like. Then we moved further up into the mountains, up into Lake Solitude for our second night. And our third night in the heart of the mountains. Then we dropped our packs on that last day and did a hike way up back into the back country, um, taking, up, taking up the Cascade Canyon Trail, going between two of the larger peaks in the area. And that height, at that hike, we hit our highest elevation. We went just over 10,000 feet across the pass. And then we backtracked back down, down to the Cascade Canyon Trail, back to our starting point. So in all, in those four days, we did about 25 close to 30 miles. The wilderness is a good place to have a companion. It's good to be with someone to share the beauty of the trail, the work of making camp, um, the excitement of seeing something new, and sometimes just the boring drudgery of getting from point A to point B. On our trek, we came up to a pocket glacier. That's part way up in the hills where the snow never melts. Now, generally when I do backcountry packing, I do clean my water. But that day, we didn't have to. To drink from a mountain stream right at the foot of that glacier, where that snow has been there for a couple of thousand years, be sure it's clean. It's clean and cold. Sharing, companionship, 
Marcia knows mushrooms, how to pick them. And nothing can make a meals ready to eat on the trail taste better than hand-picked and hand-cooked mushrooms. Having a companion is a good thing. It's also good to have a companion when you get into trouble. It was the second day out, if I recall correctly, and we were going up the mountain face through a series of switchbacks. And that's where things are so steep, you're really going side to side to side. I came off of one switchback. That day I was leading, Marsha was behind me. And I found myself going up the switchback and I found myself climbing hand over hand up a rock face. With a 40-pound pack, this is not easy, but also it struck me as not being right. Marsha was behind me. And I said, this can't be right. This is not the trail. Marsha agreed. Now, as hard as it is to climb up hand over hand, it's a lot more difficult to climb down. So as we backtracked down the cliff face, Marsha was putting my feet on each of those places where I had to tread to keep my balance. I don't know how she did hers, but she did. She got us both down, back to where we'd gone off the trail, and, and I realized, and as did she, that the switchback, we had just missed it. It had made just an incredible turn the opposite direction we'd been going. In the Grand Tetons that day, I learned what it was to literally put my life in the hands of another person. Today, with this self-quarantine, this separation from others that we're all going through, we're missing the nearness of human companionship. We're social animals, and this time feels so unnatural. Although in a different context, I feel each day the words that God spoke to Adam. It's not good for one to be alone. It's not good to be alone. Especially in a world where we are challenged. Jesus knew this. Our gospel lesson is a story of Jesus sending his people out to spread the good news. Sending them out two by two. Do you ever wonder why he sent them out two by two and told them not to take anything with them that would sustain them? Ecclesiastes, the teacher of the Hebrew Bible, speaks about the value of having a friend. This is from Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to the one who's alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's a safe bet that Jesus knew about this advice. And by the way, that threefold cord is not quickly broken. What a beautiful picture. One person second person, and together they form that third chord. We also have the saying from Proverbs that Jesus also knew. A friend loves at all times, and kinsfolk are born to share adversity. 
and sending them out into the world two by two without very much. What Jesus said was, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. Now when you're like that, when you're stripped down to essentials, you need a companion. Wow. Putting yourself in total reliance on the world comes a lot easier when you have somebody to share it with. What a team building exercise that must have been. Now, Marsh and I had more than our, those things on our wilderness trick. But the point is that we had each other, as did the apostles. We had each other to share our wonderful, beautiful mountains. We had each other to share the dangers on the trail. We had each other to share a companionship to show each other the beauties of God's world. And we also had the sharing of bumping up against one another. Nettie Bowles-Weber, one of my favorite pastors, talks about having us being created with rough edges. Some of you have heard me say this before. With, with rough edges that, that wind up grating against each other. Maybe sometimes fitting together and working each other smooth. Now, of course, we're known by the company we keep, and Jesus knew this too, as did those who were against his gospel. When the Pharisees saw Jesus, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why indeed? In the Gospels, we see Jesus making company, breaking bread with tax collectors. Now, for those of you who may not know, the tax collector in that society was the lowest of the low. It was somebody who had been co-opted by the powers that be and made life absolutely miserable for everyone else in the community. You see, the tax collector got a cut of the taxes collected. And the tax collector had behind him the Roman army to call in, or maybe his own tufts that he hired. So tax collectors were were the lowest of the low. Sinners, yeah. And also the lepers and the disabled and the disfigured. You see, those people were barred from the temple. They were the misfits. And this brings up something we need to keep in mind. Our companions, our friends, especially our closest ones, they influence us greatly. We're known by the company we keep. David Long, a sociologist, tells us that whatever belonging is, it involves belonging with and to others in a place. This is how communities work. People and places help us know who we are. That's what a companion does. A companion, uh, the old westerns, a sidekick, somebody close enough that when you were on horseback you could kick them. They help teach us to know who we are. Now, if you've ever wondered the difference between a community and a companion, I've been working on that over the last few months and weeks. I've been working on it because our normal community and our companionship has been shattered, and shattered in different ways. 
It's not just the isolation from personal contact. It's a radical reworking of what my community is, how it operates, how I relate to the community, and how I work in that community, and how I can learn to change and grow in that community. And I'm not just talking about the isolation that we've all been put through because of this pandemic. I'm also talking about the isolation that we've been living, some of us for years, in homogeneous communities of race and social and political sameness. That we've been living in communities that, that are so much, with each individual, so much like us. And it's from our communities that we draw our close friends and our companions can't help but be otherwise. The problem is that we can be isolated even when we're surrounded by those who are just like us. Maybe especially isolated when that happens. And that brings up the dark side of companionship. If my community is made up of people who are just like me, of people who make me feel comfortable in my thoughts and my opinions and, yes, my religion, then I'm running a very grave risk. The risk is that I'll begin to see those outside of my nice, comfortable community as not just different from me, but completely other than I am. And that's the first step in seeing those outside of my community as being less than me. Now, it's no accident that a mainstream message in any society that goes to war is that the enemy is less than human. And it's a staple of genocide. The Rwandan genocide, the genocide against the Tutsi, was a mass slaughter of Tutsi, Twa, and the moderate Hutus in Rwanda. It took place between April 7th and July 15th of 1994 during a civil war. That slaughter was preceded by a vicious publicity that equated the Tutsi people with cockroaches that should be exterminated. Sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but names will never hurt me. That's not true. The Nazi genocide against the Jews was preceded by a vicious publicity that was drummed into the public airwives and to the people that equated Jews to vermin. Words can hurt. Words can set us up in ways that we don't even imagine. This othering, this looking at others as less than I am, as less than human, is always always a precursor to social violence. And it doesn't matter what sort of words you're using, how you might equate an individual with their community, how you might look at a person and assume that they're just like what you think that community is like. And that's true of those of us who look at an African-American. It's true of those of us who look at a Native American. It's true of those who look at older men wearing a collar and making assumptions. It's true of looking at a police officer and making assumptions. Profiling is not something that just a government or law enforcement agency does something that we're all capable of doing. 
And we need to guard against that. So it's important to know who are my companions. Are they profiling for me or are they calling me on my stuff? Who are those members of my community that I'm close enough to to call me on my stuff? And how are they doing it? And what am I doing for them? Are they encouraging the best in me? Or are they encouraging the worst of me? We're known by the company we keep. So how do we walk this line? How do we not close out the other? How do we not silo ourselves into tribes that become not just exclusive, but cruelly exclusive? The answer is in the question of how do we find companionship for ourselves? Maslow Wolf is a theologian who's thought deeply about these sorts of things. And he puts our dilemma in terms of embrace and its opposite, exclusion. Here's what he says. The practice embrace with its concomitant struggle against deception, injustice, and violence is intelligible only against the backdrop of a powerful, contagious, and destructive evil I call exclusion. It's for Christians possible only if, in the name of God's crucified Messiah, we distance ourselves from ourselves and our cultures in order to create space for the other. In other words, we can inoculate ourselves against the danger of othering, against the danger of siloing ourselves in in communities that make us feel so comfortable being ourselves. We can do that by stepping out of ourselves, by being willing to make space, to put aside our me, myself, and I pronouns long enough to hear somebody and form a companionship with that person. I'd suggest that if we get into the habit of making that space for others, a space in ourselves, we'll be opening ourselves up to the grace of Jesus Christ to fill that space, to let us welcome and dine with the tax collectors and the sinners. And as Jesus made space for those in his society, the collectors, the tax collectors, the sinners, the lepers, the disabled, the disfigured, we can too. And we can cultivate companions who will help us and support us in making that space and who we can help and support. And, and here's a good clue. Your companion is helping you to do that when the companion sometimes irritates you. The Buddhists have this wonderful concept called the bodhisattva. The bodhisattva is is a being that you would meet on your road of life who would teach you, teach you to change. Our companions can be our bodhisattvas. They can help us change for the good. To do that, change being the painful thing it is, they're going to irritate us. Fair is fair. You get to irritate back but to change them, not not to make yourself feel better. That's how we can do that. That's how we can provide ourselves with good companionship, the companionship that walks with Christ.
Amen.